Welcome back to another episode of Church of the Geek. Uh, we are here in the uh, really nasty heat of July. Sam, are you, are, are you okay? Is your computer melting yet? The computer is not melting yet. It is well, um, it is well cooled, thankfully. So um, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed there, although our upstairs is quite hot. So the computer is downstairs. Gotcha. But, and you? Um, we are, we are surviving. <laughs> we are surviving. We are not melting. Um, it, it got close on Saturday, but we pulled it back from the brink. Mm. So, the heat's a little early this year. I expect this in August, not in July. So, and it's been hanging around a little bit too long. Yeah, really. It anytime has, it could just go away anytime. It has wore out its welcome. I yeah. I first this is like first week of August weather and it's been in the high 80s low 90s since the beginning of July, so. Right? I'm kind of done. Absolutely. Well, Sam, um besides the besides the heat, I got a question for you. I know because I don't know where you are in terms of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, were you a science fiction guy? Oh, very much. I was much very more much. Okay. of a I was much more of a science fiction guy than a fantasy guy. Gotcha. So okay. if it had spaceships, I was involved. All yeah. right, all right. Oh, that's right. Because we've played like X Wing. I know, and so we had some of that. So I know at least that's got to be a little bit in your background. Yeah, yeah. So well. Do you remember what the first thing that sort of hooked you into science fiction? Well, probably um, what, like one of the, the two, two things really hooked me. One was uh, Star Trek, the original series that would uh, show up on uh, our look at uh, WPGH here in Pittsburgh. It was one of Channel the, 53. The, Channel absolutely. 53. Every evening. Yep. One mm-hmm. of the four channels I could get. And uh you know, watch Star Trek over and over and over again in reruns. And uh, that, and of course, uh, the uh, original Star Wars that came out, mm-hmm. um, watching that in a drive-in movie theater and um, the the Skyway drive-in in Butler, Pennsylvania. Yes. And re- remember that day quite fondly. So. Mm-hmm. Nothing That's like a awesome. giant spaceship like coming over top of your car. <laughs> yeah. So, and and you, I mean, are you, well, I, I know you're you're very much into into fantasy. I know. Well, um, so this was really interesting, and I think about it in terms of books, in terms of reading, right? Um, because I did watch, I'd watch this the Star Trek on Channel Fifty Three every night too, and my mom at one point confessed she was a little concerned as she's like is he because i was younger but i was watching star trek almost every night and she's like is 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 this gonna warp him (laughs) we'll leave that up for debate whether it was that or else other things that warped me but for me though the thing that makes makes me think about star or science fiction is um ninth grade honors english Mm -hmm. because it was there i'd been reading reading pretty much fantasy lord of the rings uh the hobbit you know all of those sort of things um dragon lance uh maybe that came a little later but mm-hmm. uh chronicles of narnia clearly but there in um mrs schweinsberg's uh honors english class i cracked open fahrenheit 451 by ray bradbury mm-hmm. and I literally think from that point on, I didn't read any more or very little fantasy for decades. Mm, and now I I'm just... back in a little more into fantasy, but there's a whole, I'm still reading science fiction, but mm-hmm. um, moved a lot more back into fantasy here in the past decade, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. well, Everything comes and go in, in, in shifts and yeah, what's popular. And, and so, yeah. Well, and there's a there's a I think there's a larger conversation about the state of science fiction in general. But mm-hmm. 
the reason I ask, right? Because that tonight, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about science fiction. Um, and, uh, woo-hoo. because yeah, woo. that's my, that's my excited woo. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a really, we've got, we've got the guy to talk with. If we want to talk about science fiction, theology, um, Star Trek, uh, all that sort of stuff. Tonight we have with us, uh, Dr. James McGrath. Um, he's the Clarence L. Goodwin chair in New Testament language and literature at Butler university uh, over in Indianapolis. Um, he wrote, he's written a lot of really um, deep theological religious studies type books, but really what we want to talk about is his book, Theology and Science Fiction. So Dr. Dr. McGrath, thank you for being with us tonight. Well, thank you both so much for the opportunity to uh, get together with you and geek out about some things that we're clearly all very interested in. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. And we were, we were talking, I, Brian and asked me if you and I had been introduced and uh, yeah, we, uh, you and I met at, at Theocon and I remember your uh, very well-tailored uh, Star Trek uniform mm. uh, that <laughs> I was quite impressed with. Um, next is next generation, I believe. Uh, what was I wearing at Theocon? I, it was, I it, was. it must've been, it probably it probably was actually uh, Deep Space Nine. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I. One thing that only a geek who is also a professor would worry about is if you teach in the humanities, right? Which is where religious studies is, uh, where theology is, where biblical studies is. What color uniform do you wear? <laughs> <laughs> And the professors at Starfleet Academy who teach in these subjects, what do they wear? Yes. And so I remember from the original series, right, there's um, a great episode for those interested in the intersection of Star Trek and religion, Star Trek and theology, uh, Who Mourns for Adonis, right? If you actually meet a god, that's, right. you know, it gives you something to talk about. And there is an anthropologist uh, who is part of the UA team. And anthropology, of course, more on the social sciences side, but it kind of blurs a little bit into the humanities. But at any rate, somebody working in that area, you know, if they wear science uniform, then I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to go with. Excellent. It, and it, it, it suits you very well. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Dr. McGrath, uh, how about you? Um, just generally speaking, do you remember what it was that sparked your interest in science fiction? Yes. Well, it was interesting listening to you both talking about science fiction and fantasy and early memories and things like that. I remember Star Trek toys probably before anything else, right? Those, Mm. Those mm-hmm. huge action figures. I don't know if you remember those. And the, yes. The playset that went along with them and things like that. Uh, had had Star Wars action figures, you know, which were much smaller as well. Had Battlestar Galactica, uh, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Oh, if, yeah. If the uniform from, you know, the original Battlestar Galactica from, you know, 1979 were not so elaborate and expensive to make, I, I would probably be wearing a, a, a colonial <laughs> fighter pilot's jacket right and we yeah. go with that because i still think those those look pretty nice All right. right which one apollo or starbuck which was your guy uh more apollo actually yeah uh-huh yeah mm-hmm. never been the never been the the, the coolies man no i'm much more <laughs> of the yeah apollo's i do do all geeks resonate more with apollo that's a really good question yeah that is a good question i'd have to yeah. Kind of crawl back, crawl back in my mind to the, to the original one. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe even more, you know, we want to be Commander Adama. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, let's be honest. That's yeah. probably what. That's yeah, probably what you want to be. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Would, yeah. Uh, although then you don't get the, you know, the Viper pilot jacket, which I think. That's true. You know, yeah. So I would, I would trade in my rank of commander in order to get the cool jacket. I think. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which probably says a great deal about me now that I think about it. Um, but I also I also enjoyed fantasy. Uh, you know, played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, nice. Read uh, you know read Tolkien and Lewis, but also uh, distinctly remember um, uh, 
the Sword of Shannara, Elstones of Shannara, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. which I pronounced wrong until I actually went and got a, a signed copy of one of the novels for my son. And then was like, oh, okay, if he pronounces it that way as the author, then I'm going to adjust. Well, so. I was pronouncing that wrong until now. So, so there we go. You're so. better than me. <laughs> yeah. One advantage of having uh, Gen Con, right, the big gaming convention, yeah. right. is that yeah. you get to you know, attend some interesting panels and uh, occasionally meet authors or things like that, you know, mm-hmm. sign photos. Of course, uh, we also have Starbase Indie, which is another nice local one that happens here. Oh, nice. And of course, none of these things are happening face-to-face this year. Right. It'll be right. interesting to see what happens with Gen Con trying to be online because uh, for some games, that may work just fine, but for others, it's it's not the experience that people associate with Gen Con. And so we'll see right. what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, meeting at Theocon was pretty wonderful. And Theocon has, was fantastic because it explores that intersection in a way that uh, the two main other venues that one might try to, uh, it's at best one little narrow sliver of something that's much broader. So, you know, I attend conferences like uh, the American Academy of Religion, Society of Biblical Literature, and there's a bit on science fiction there, but it's not the preponderance by any means. Right. And one year when it was in Indianapolis, I presented at the uh, Popular Culture Association conference. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, science fiction, religion, the intersection of the two, science fiction, philosophy, even more so have a place, but again, it's part of a much broader endeavor that's interested in a lot of other things as well. Theocon just brings together those people who geek out about that intersection. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to have that kind of intense focus geekery (laughs) going on there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, we were, we were rather uh, sad that we, uh, not Gen Con, see now it's in my brain. Theocon is has been postponed. I was I was getting ready to welcome everybody to Pittsburgh here in the uh, in the fall, and well, we we're gonna push it back another year. Yeah. So yeah, at least. So, but yeah, Gen. Uh, oh goodness gracious! I mean, how many <laughs> how many times I got to do this tonight? Theocon is definitely. Um, you're right. It is. It's the niche of niches. You know. Um, so, so Brian and I talked about, you know, the things that, um, you know, when we were, that, that drew us to science fiction, you know, were th- uh, things that we, you know, saw when we were kids, you know, kind of hit mm-hmm. us at formative ages. Yeah. What were, what were some of the things that initially drew you to science fiction? Oh, it's, it's really hard to know because I remember it as part of my life for as long as I can remember, literally. And so clearly there there was some exposure, you know, at key moments that are lost in the the mists of early memory. Uh, but I, I do know what, what I loved about it and continue to love about it that just brought me back to it and turned it into an area of research and teaching, which, of course, if you get into biblical studies, which is my area, you may not necessarily get the chance to explore, but I've been at a at a university where I've been encouraged to explore side interests. Uh, It's a fairly small religion program, so there's lots of opportunity for that. And I don't know that doing things like writing science fiction would would have ever counted for tenure and promotion or anything like that. (laughs) But as long as I'm not trying to count it as that, if, if it's something that I'm also doing, they're fine with that. But just the, you know, on the one hand, there's the imagination the the optimism about the future, uh, the exploration of possibilities, all of these things. But then I think also, oftentimes, geeks are people who are socially awkward, people who don't feel like they fit in, uh, who feel like there's something wrong with human society, the way it exists. And so uh, that desire to find other worlds where maybe things will be better or, you know, press out into a future that is better than the present is, is very, very appealing. Mm -hmm. 
And then I'm sure the cool uniforms and other things, you know, uh, cool technology, you know, laser pistols, well, you know, cool spaceships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you go back and watch, you know, the original series of Star Trek and the technology doesn't look that cool anymore um, compared to some of the things we have now. Yeah. Right. So. Well, you know, it is interesting. Um, I, I recently have started rewatching the original series mm. because last yeah. summer a um a guy told me i was at a camp i was a chaplain at a camp for yeah. a week and one of the staff people goes i've never i've not watched any star trek and mm. i was like really none not a he was like nope nothing of the original series and i'm like huh okay he goes tell me give me the top 10 to watch and i was like i I don't know that I could, I can't do that off the top of my head. I got to go back and watch them to really consider which ones are, are the, are the best. It's been fascinating to watch, to mm-hmm. go back and rewatch them now versus when I was, you know, five to 10, you uh-huh. know, when they were on every night. Um, it was really, it, it was really groundbreaking. I mean, it is, yeah. it's not, it is no understatement to talk about how that yeah. probably changes the fabric or the landscape of uh, television and science fiction in general, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I have paused a, an attempt to rewatch the original series as well and probably then to work my way through everything else since. Uh, I did that with all of classic Doctor Who, uh, which is another lover of mine. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back to childhood. That one, I, I remember my first introduction to it. But uh, re-watching Star Trek, the original series, has been fascinating, both in terms of appreciation, appreciation for what it was doing in its time and how remarkable it was, but also recognizing that you can be a fan and yet be honest and critical and say, Ooh, the sexism. I don't remember that from when I was a kid. Yeah. Right? It's, it didn't strike me as painfully as it does now, uh, which is good. I mean, some of those things you're probably, you know, are, you know, a child is never going to pick up on uh, if it wasn't making me cringe and uh, frown and do other things. Now there would be a problem. So. Mm-hmm. No. Right. And something that's, yeah. that that's been around that long. It was, that long ago right you know 50 years ago i'd hope it would look and maybe feel a little out of place yes and it's it's not as though that were uh something uncharacteristic for the time right you go back Mm -hmm. uh, doctor who is one that i often make comparisons with when it comes Mm -hmm. to star trek comparing it as a franchise with doctor who because they're they both start out in the 60s uh not quite the same time, but close enough that it's worth comparison. Uh, Doctor Who has continued, not quite uninterrupted, but has continued as sort of a single franchise, where Star Trek has been multiple, you know, with different updates in different forms. And just looking at how how a franchise updates itself and those kinds of things are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek uh, just as somebody who's a, been a fan of you know all the different ones and particularly likes Deep Space Nine for its exploration of uh, religion and religious pluralism. Right. But uh, the episode uh, Trials and Tribulations, <laughs> do you know that one? The, um... It's the one where they uh, they basically go back in time. Oh, yeah. Oh, to the right. episode okay. The Trouble with Tribbles. Yes, that yeah. was... And that, that was one a... just is just laugh out loud funny. For me, just because they did such a great job of you know, getting these characters from Deep Space Nine and really weaving them into the episode, no, in, it, it in was quite an impressive right? way. Yeah, What's... but then you know they're also struggling with the technology, you know, and the differences that it's yeah. you know. Well, and then especially right the whole the whole uh, uh, hilarious part with Worf, right? Asking like, yeah. where are the ridges? Where are the head ridges? Yeah. We, we, <laughs> We don't talk about that. Yeah. So we don't talk about it, that outsiders. It's kind of breaking the fourth yeah. wall without breaking the fourth wall. Right. Yeah. And then Enterprise does some, you know, retconning and actually, you know, 
you know, they, you do the, they have the whole genetic experimentation and it's, you know, appropriately in the area, you know, close to the neutral zone. And so the first Klingons that they, you know, kind of encounter is, I think that was on Enterprise, wasn't it? Or was it Discovery? Where, where you have the, no, no, it's with, yeah, one of, one of the, you know, um, uh, one of the members of the family that also was responsible for Commander Data, right? Mm-hmm. Probably his grandfather or something like that was doing some things with the the, the genetic enhancements that made uh, Khan Noonien Singh and his crew okay. so remarkable. Right. And right. in experimenting and trying to give the advantages to the Klingons, they get some human DNA in there and the ridges go missing and they're sort of yeah, it's 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 a hilarious attempt at retconning, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will admit that is one. That's what that's the series that I have not watched. Yeah, so yeah, that's it. It just never really caught my yeah. It, it didn't have the same spirit. I it had you know the same kind of. It it, it was interesting in terms of like how it was. Uh, you know, I, I remember little bits and pieces of it, like how, how they were scared to use the transporters. Like, there's no way that we, you know, I would ever get one yeah. of these things and things like that. But it just never really caught the same way. I don't know if it was the writing or the cast or what, but. Yeah, so we'll probably find ourselves talking about a few few of the different series, you know, mm-hmm. how particularly the recent ones, there have been lots of debates uh, among my Facebook well, friends, among other places. You know, well, I wanted to ask you, how, what what about the new ones, uh, Discovery and Picard? Yeah. So, I mean, I've enjoyed them. I mean, I tend to enjoy things. Like, I'm somebody who enjoys you know, Star Wars prequels. And, you know, without, you know, there's, there was no cringing. I was not crossing my fingers. There was nothing. <laughs> I, uh, I had a mental picture of Jar Jar in my mind as I said it. You know, it's like, um, and that doesn't mean I'm not uh, capable of, seeing weaknesses and things like that, but I, I can appreciate this. I can appreciate that one reason why the original trilogy has that special place for me, why Star Trek, the original series has a special place for me is because I discovered it in childhood and it has that element of nostalgia and you have that innocence that you bring to it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I have a friend who is trying to introduce his son to Star Trek and his son's just not, it's it's not clicking with him. Mm-hmm. He's like, what's the yeah? You know, what's the appropriate one to introduce him with? Because clearly the original series is not the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. you know, black and white William Hartnell episodes of Doctor Who are not the way to make somebody not, first yeah. Yeah. with Doctor Who. I, I love William Hartnell. I, yeah. it, he's my second favorite. But yeah, I don't think you'd want to start there. Yeah, I tried that too with with my uh, with my youngest son. Trying to get my oldest son never really caught star trek at all i tried to get him i like i started with the original series he never caught it and never showed any interest in anything afterwards so i think that kind of killed it for him but my youngest one um started watching star trek voyager with me and because that's uh, that's one of my favorite series along with you know of the of the, the sequels and that's kind of where i'm finding myself going through the entire series from you know start to finish and um um, one, I didn't remember how many seasons there were of Star Trek Voyager. There were seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in my mind it kind of was shorter than that, but um, it it has a lot to it. And I think it it really kind of was, it had enough good special effects to make it interesting and kind of keep them interested. Uh, and the stories weren't often... they. The, not all all of the stories were too complicated. They definitely have some complicated stories. Um, it, it, some of the, like I just watched one not that long ago uh, that really dealt with the issue of um, the ethical use of medical research that was obtained on prisoners, on, on prisoners of war, basically. And, you know, some really interesting and challenging stuff. And I really, you know, enjoy when, you know, Star Trek especially kind of, uh, deals with issues of um, ethics and how do we treat other people and how do we use the information that we have, um, you know, in those sorts of things. 
Um, but yes, he really he's he's caught on to Star Trek Voyager, which is which is good, and he's watched some of the newer uh, movies with me too. Um, so that's been that's been good, and he's kind of asked questions about who people are and what they're doing, and I fill him in with all that the backstories and so on. So yeah, so Discovery, my my initial reaction was you know this is enjoyable. When the Enterprise showed up with Captain Pike, then I was then I fell in love with it. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is they 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 did they did such a good job with the the casting uh, and uniforms and other things. Uh, I just like Pike's character. I mean, he's my favorite. He's my favorite captain now. Okay. Uh, so next time we see each other, I will probably have be you know in Captain <laughs> Pike uniform. And it's not just because his father was. Uh, somebody who taught both science and uh, comparative religion. Yeah, and so there's there's a, a resonance. If if I knew what Captain Pike's father looked like in war, I'd probably have to have that costume. It'd be more even more fitting. But, <laughs> but it'll do. Yeah. And that moment when they actually do that little bit before the episode proper starts, where it's like previously on Star Trek. And they go back to you know the menagerie, the cage, right? The original uh-huh. pilot. And I don't know that there's ever been a moment like that in the history of television where you go back that many decades, right? With this previously on, right? I mean, that's yeah. you know last week's episode. Maybe you go back two weeks or three, just from previously people, thirty years ago, right? <laughs> I, who who? I mean, first of all, who does that, right? And then second of all, who could do that? And get oh, I know, it, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself is just something so fascinating, right? And, you know, th- this is one of the reasons why I think we we find there are resonances between not just Star Trek and theology, science fiction and religion, but a franchise like Star Trek and biblical studies, right? I mean, the Bible has tons of, you know, previously on, and it's way back in Leviticus or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. yeah, who remembers that, right? From the 300 people, years ago. The casual, yeah. <laughs> casual readers, or, you know. Um, and don't even get me started on retconning, you know. But, <laughs> but yeah, so Discovery, yeah, loved it. Uh, enjoyed exploring the kind of the, the, the religious themes and imagery on there. Both Pike's kind of openness to it uh, and discussing it in a in a way that's sort of sensitive uh, to Michael Burnham's more kind of skeptical approach to it, but in the end, it had the the standard Star Trek approach, which is that you know anything that seems like it might be divine or miraculous or angelic, you know, in the case of the Red Angel, is in fact technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think that fits with the general sort of spirit of Roddenberry, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but this goes back uh, when I go back to watch the first season, though. Mm-hmm. Religion is everywhere, mm. like scriptural um, quotations, uh, ideas, um, no- notions of garden and fall. Mm-hmm. I pop up multiple times. Um, and so yeah. it, they step back from the miraculous, but woven throughout everything is, is all of this background stuff. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite topics to talk about lately in, in, with regard to Star Trek is, you know, the question of gods and what is a God in Star mm-hmm. Trek. Mm-hmm. And, People forget, I had forgotten until I started revisiting these things, both rewatching as a fan, but also studying religion on Star Trek. In what became the, the second pilot, right, where, where no man has gone before, mm-hmm. Captain Kirk is pontificating about the attributes of a god, right? <laughs> like, you know, well, else a god needs compassion, Mitchell. You know, it's like, hey, you know, is he becoming a god or something else? That's a theological question, 
and Kirk doesn't explain his theology, but you get some of the same assumptions, same kinds of assumptions coming through in Who Mourns Radonis. Again, it's like Apollo's no god, but he may have been mistaken for one once. And if you're a powerful being that can, you know, conjure a big hand that can grab a starship and can do all kinds of other things, what makes you not a god? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not in the monotheistic sense, but for you know, ancient Greek polytheism, what's what in fact is there that's incompatible with divinity in, right. in, in that framework, right? And so is this actually reflecting less of you know, a strict you know, atheism or even skepticism and much more of a, a monotheistic critique of polytheistic ideas of divinity because gotta tell you you know i I shared apartment with classicists and they don't think apollo actually existed he was just an alien right and so that's not skeptical you know that's Mm -hmm. basically ancient aliens kind of uh, scenario there (laughs) which is you know surprisingly popular in science fiction across the board and that itself is really interesting It's um, going back, thinking about the uh, Kirk uh, pontificating about the what what makes a god. Yeah. It, it it comes back even in the movies, Star Trek Five, Final Frontier, yeah. right? Yeah. It's 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 almost. I mean, yeah. Except there, they're directing their questions to the entity, right? Who are you, and what's the yeah. what's going on? So, um, it's it is it is definitely there's a there's a full tapestry of sort of theological questions throughout uh star trek mm-hmm. yeah yeah i actually so I, I wrote a piece for um it's it's one of the several volumes on philosophy in star trek uh, this one is the ultimate star trek in philosophy uh, oh, okay i don't know where it goes after ultimate you know if they decide <laughs> to do a, a sequel to that one <laughs> The post ultimate is it yeah, that a thing? Post ultimate, there we go. But I called I called the chapter "A God Needs Compassion, but Not a Starship," right? Making reference to that, <laughs> you know, the, the you know where no man has gone before, and then to Star Trek Five because it's like apparently Kirk has a really good sense of what a God does or doesn't need, and there are right. theological assumptions at work here that never actually get articulated explicitly, explained or explored on the show. It's it's something though that in in science fiction, like you were, we've been talking about, how science fiction, you know, really can has has dealt with issues related to to religion, and I think we're kind of more used to, or would expect it coming more from fantasy because fantasy deals so much with different gods and pantheons and so on, and just draws from from history and literature and so on and many different kinds and different cultures. Whereas science fiction kind of grew out of, uh, you know, science and seeing that as something that was not dealing with, you know, focusing on, on religion. It was something that dealt with issues around, um, well, in, in, not necessarily dealing with issues around around science and how we do things, but doing it in in a way that I think many people took, you know, especially you know some some you know Christians at the time probably took it as a, a materialistic worldview, as you know God is not present in this picture, um, and that humans are capable of doing things um, and perfecting themselves or bettering themselves without faith or without without religion. But as we've seen and talked about, that science fiction, maybe because of that, has such a a way, to, a, a broad palette to paint with when it regard when it comes to talking about religion and issues around faith, and ethics and those sorts of things. Yeah, and i I often find myself problematizing, or at least shining a critical spotlight on the supposedly fairly stark difference between fantasy and science fiction. That's not just because I'm a Doctor Who fan and you could tell <laughs> the same stories about a, 
you know, a wizard traveling in a magical box, right? But even if you think about Star Trek, the, the, this universe that they're exploring is populated by these powerful entities that live in the realm up there. And humans actually discover ways to ascend into that realm and explore it. And you know, this historically was the domain of, of religion and of mythology because we didn't have technology that would let us move upwards. And so there, there wasn't really any, anywhere else to turn in our thinking and our wondering about pondering our place in the universe. But ultimately there's this, this kind of, you know, magical naturalism that surfaces in both fantasy, which almost always has room for magic and wizards and in science fiction where either if certain mutations happen, you know, X-Men or heroes or things like that, or discover dilithium crystals and, you know, manage to accomplish warp drive. Transporters and uh, you know, flu powder are not you know, fundamentally different. It's not clear that either <laughs> of those is something that we'll ever actually have. Right. And you know, the, the difference is that when you, you just say flu powder and it's magic and you've got your thing, right? And you can do teleportation and other things magically, and you don't feel the need to explain it. If you're writing a Star Trek script, uh, I have it on good authority from my research that what scriptwriters would often do is they'd say, you know, and in order to dematerialize here and go there, we'll have to harness the, and then they insert tech, and they pass on to someone else to insert something that says quantum and something that says, you know, dilithium and whatever else needs to be part of this to make it sound Star Trek-y and science-y, but it's not actual science. Right. And there's this hope, I think, in both that somehow by exploring the limits of knowledge and beyond, whether through arcane mystical things or scientific inquiry, technology, evolution, incantation, something will bring us closer to that level of divinity and that power that both kinds of genres seem to aspire to and reflect human aspiration towards. Well, I think that's the really whatever techno babble you want to put in there, right? That's never the important part, mm-hmm. right? right. Yeah. That is simply, um, a way sort of to, to give you, to move the story along that helps you ask the question that I think really is in some ways is at the heart of, of, of good theology is what does it mean to be human? Hmm. You know, um, cause as much as, as we have aliens and starships, um, a lot of the questions really about humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Particularly as we, as we, I think that moved, as you talked about moving sort of toward divinity, right? That feels very Augustinian to me, that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's the motion. That's the, in some ways, science fiction, there's a lot of gritty stuff out there, but there's, it always feels like there is a, there's an unbridled optimism, Right? that there's something for us to strive towards divinity utopia mm. that that's really important within the realm of science fiction. Yeah. And I think that's, that's particularly true of Star Trek. Uh, you mentioned yes. Gene Roddenberry's vision and I've referred to his outlook as a humanistic theology Mm-hmm. because he didn't tend to describe himself as an atheist so much as you know someone who thinks that maybe somehow time loops around and we kind of create the universe and create ourselves. And so divinity is not just 
the starting point of it all, but also in some sense the goal. And you know the resonances with you know me, particularly you know Pierre Thierry de Chardin and people like mm-hmm. that, but also with you know ideas of you know theosis, you know divinization, you know that's part of the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. neglected more in some circles than in others, but there. Hmm. So I re- I came to the realization, I don't know, a few months back, and I think I mentioned this in in, in, one, in some of our correspondence back and forth before this, that I came to the realization that as much as I enjoy Star Wars, right, I'm much more of a Star Trek person. Hmm. And it does seem that Star Wars has has grabbed a larger bulk of sort of the popular attention. Why? Why? Any ideas? Any thoughts? So why that might be? Or and maybe you disagree with me. Maybe I'm. I'm. No, no. I think Star Star Trek is, you know, probably just because of its outlook and because of its feel, even more than anything else. Star Wars really is that, you know, grandiose, epic storytelling, Mm -hmm. that myth-making, you know, hero, princess, something akin to magic, even in this, you know, very Mm -hmm. science-y kind of place. And, you know, Star Trek is, at least in its origins, episodic, and it's very much of a a television thing. And I'm not sure that before very recently anything that would be categorized as television ever ever became as quite as bombastic and as you know iconic in the way that star wars did Uh, there certainly has been television that has done that and now with lots of different media by which the things that Maybe will no longer be called television because they're not right to a, a TV set if one <laughs> right. wants to refer to that. But things are moving in a different direction and all kinds of things are possible and the technology has moved on so that even even fairly low budget productions can sometimes have some really cool special effects or at least be passable. And so uh, there's there's definitely been a change, but I think if you go back to the 60s and the 70s, and television was a thing that kept people like tuned in and you know, it, it required a, a weekly commitment and things like mm-hmm. that. And the cinema was where you went and you spent a couple of hours and yet you also lost yourself in it in a way that you don't necessarily sitting at home in front of the television, uh, however yeah. magical it can be in its own right. And so I think it's just you know, different kinds of storytelling, different different visions uh, different approaches, uh, but also the different genres and media through which the stories were disseminated. And and something too, you hate to to bring it up, but uh, Star Wars just had better marketing mm. with <laughs> um, with their with their toy line and everything. Um, they there, there was two um, episodes of the show on Netflix, um, the toys that made us. One on there was one on on Star Wars, where they talked about just how they managed to hit it out of the park with these Star Wars action figures that you could you know kids would act out you know what they saw in the movies and make up their own stories and so on, and how Star Trek then tried to do the same thing but never really was able to, to get it right. Um, they, they talked about, you know, the, I, and part of it I think is because Star Trek, the, the stories were not so much things that you would, they, they weren't necessarily adventure stories that you would act out like, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a fantasy way. Yeah. Um, they had really cool ships and so on. And I think that was what I remember as, as a kid, you know, getting, Star Trek model ships to put together of the mm-hmm. Enterprise and Klingon ships and so on. Um, and not so much having the characters and recreating stories or making new stories. And 
it it was kind of laughable they they mentioned in the in this in the show about how um they tried even to they made these these helmets uh for kids to 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 play that were they were these star trek helmets that were completely taken from some other japanese um toy line and they there were these white helmets with red um lights on top like almost like police lights on top and what they did was they just stuck a sticker on one that said kirk and a sticker on one that said spock and those were the star trek helmets and never mind that no one ever in star trek wore helmets <laughs> so it was it just it, i i think that was something too that, that star wars was able to capture the the adventure and the, like, like you said, the, the sort of the, the bombastic nature, the swashbuckling nature of, of, of a story and make it something that was really accessible to kids. And I think Star Trek did the same thing, but in a different way. It captured you in, the, in a way that, you know, at least for me, that it was more episodic in nature. It was more storytelling. It was less... Um, there may not be a, a huge fight or something like that. Every, Mm -hmm. every episode, there was, there were some, there were, there was no fighting at all. It was, how do we use our brains to solve this problem? Um, and so it was more of an internal, uh, Mm. story that was being told. Yeah. And it was, I was really struck, uh, cause I have memories of making models and, things like that. And I, I, I think that the kind of person who makes models and maybe the age of person who makes models was more likely to do Star Trek. Of course, you know, the Millennium Falcon has all that intricate stuff that makes it look like mm-hmm. um, you could describe it as a piece of junk if you are a particular character <laughs> and were inclined to do so. But yeah, they have, they're, they're very intricate and hard to model. You know, there's a, a sort of sleekness to the enterprise and to even, you know, the classic, you know, Romulan bird of prey or something, you know, and so lends itself to modeling. But I think also the kind of young person, you know, maybe even older person who would engage in that kind of intricate thing and find that a fun thing to do versus the person who's going to get, you know, two broom handles and go out and pretend they're having a lightsaber duel. So I think I think it's just there's a different different mindset. Absolutely. Though I did both, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't do either as as much as I probably should. Yeah. Nowadays. Well, so you mentioned the storytelling, right? So the storytelling certainly has changed, and I feel like that's one of the things you pointed to in Discovery, right? Um, The way they were able to tell a story because it wasn't stretched out over 25 episodes. Mm. Right. Um, we did begin to see some of, some of that larger storytelling happen. I'm thinking things like um, the Borg arcs in uh, next generation, uh, dominion stuff in Voyager, mm. um, the prophet stuff in DS nine. Like th- there, there were things that, continuing stories that happened along the way amidst the 50 minute uh, storyline. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, discovery really leans into the, now the newer sort of, okay, you have eight episodes or whatever and you can pace it for eight episodes. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's a really important thing for us. Um, I think it can be really helpful. Let me say this. I think it can be really helpful for us when we compare it to scripture, right? The ways stories get told differently across the different genres and, and books and time spans of the, of the Bible. Um, there's, there's help there. We talked a few weeks, a few episodes back with Dr. Cootie um, about how she uses comics to help interpret scripture. I think the same thing could be done with Star Trek across its its historical time span. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there are definitely some interesting 
there, there are all kinds of ways that one can use comics, can use film, can use television, mm. and can use probably just about any genre to both, I think, get at aspects of something like, let's say, biblical literature that might be neglected, but also to make things clearer precisely by way of contrast. Right? Mm. Why do Why do people find meaning in these newer stories told in this way versus those older stories told in that way and what's what's common between them and then what's different and what do we learn by seeing where where the similarities and differences lie mm-hmm. star trek has a special place <laughs> for us <laughs> yeah. um and i think i think we're going to drop i think this is a good place to just sort of pause our conversation because um uh we are we are coming up on our time, uh, Doctor McGrath. Thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight, just to chat about Star Trek, um, because it's well near and dear to my heart. I'm glad it's near and dear to yours. I com- I completely lost track of time, so I was <laughs> just looked at the clock and I was like, oh my, we've been on here an hour. But um, yeah, it's I think it's it's something that's such a rich well to draw from. Um, and I think in our current, uh, our, our current 2020, uh, environment right now, we need some optimism and mm-hmm. some, uh, people getting along and, <laughs> uh, it's, it's great to, you know, to see, to kind of get away for a little while every night to, uh, find a world where that happens for about an hour. <laughs> Yeah, I we need Star Trek, but you know, not not in the mirror universe. Uh, we need the Starfleet right. not yeah. compromising its ideals at this particular moment. We need, the, <laughs> yeah, we need some optimism and some some positive examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I just I got to say this because I just realized I don't think there can be an apocalypse in the Star Trek universe, right? Because there's never any situation that is so dire that human beings can't solve their way out of it. Right, there there can definitely be uh, difficult times. There can definitely be difficulties, but everything is is approached with we can solve this, mm-hmm. and there can't be so there can't be that sort of apocalyptic thing that the world is just so bad we can't get out of it, and we need the divine action. Sorry, mm-hmm. very optimistic. It's very optimistic. Yeah. Well, Dr. McGrath, um, again, as I said, thank you so much. Where uh, where can folks uh, find out more uh, what you're doing? Connect with you. Uh, what would you What would you suggest for folks to check out? Yeah, so I'm I'm on social media. I have a blog, and my blog started out as exploring our matrix. It was initially a place to really talk about a side interest while my writing and classroom activity was mostly focused on biblical studies, it since expanded, not just other franchises, but to have a lot more biblical studies on there as well and all kinds of other things. But it's now the same as my Twitter handle, which is also the same as what my YouTube channel is labeled under. And it's all under religion prof, just as one word. So nice. if you type that in on Google, it will to ask, did you mean religion prof? And if you say yes, you may, <laughs> you might still find me, but it'll be much quicker if you just tell it no, at least not in this one instance. And of course, if you add my name, then you'll find right. your way there. Well, and we will put all of, we will put those things in the show notes so folks can uh, maybe find them a little easier, but um, it's great. But now it is time to ask, what are you geeking out about? Uh, you're up first, Dr. McGrath, as our guest. So I, I geek out about everything I do, but <laughs> I've actually been trying to wrap up, had, it's, it says a lot about me, I think, just to look back now that we're not quite finished with summer. So it's, I'm not ready to say that yet, right? We still have, you know, there's, there's some more weeks to get some things done, but right. a lot of us in academia, especially with a very unusual semester before and knowing that this one is going to be 
unpredictable. We we're trying to prepare in advance, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to wrap up a few writing projects and looking back, you know, there's been some, some writing of fiction and I've actually been doing more of that and finding not just that writing science fiction actually is a helpful way to think about some of these topics I find interesting in science fiction and to try to find a new angle on them sometimes through a story, a story of my own, but also that trying to write historical fiction in connection with some of my biblical studies interests and projects is not just a way of mediating that to a a general audience, but actually is a very rigorous way of evaluating historical scenarios and historical Mm. reconstructions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much too rarely do we try to imagine the conversation between these two characters in the Gospels, let's say. And once you start fleshing that out, according to a particular way of understanding the story, it becomes clear that, oh, wow, you know what? I wonder if this was actually in their minds, right? And things start resonating or you're like, yeah, no, no one would ever say that. I've clearly got something <laughs> wrong here in the way I'm approaching these stories. Yeah. Uh, but this this summer, I've been writing about uh, the intersection of the Bible and science fiction, Star Wars and theology, Star Trek and theology. And most recently, I'm trying to wrap up something related to Doctor Who. But I haven't let biblical studies uh, fall by the wayside uh, by any means. And actually, towards the end of a project, working on a book that I think is going to be called what Jesus learned from women. Mm. Oh, great. So I have a lot of diverse interests and awesome. As most interesting people do. Yes. Very interesting. So (laughs) that's great. That's, that's really awesome. Look forward to uh, seeing this stuff come on, especially the doctor who. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When that's out, maybe we'll, uh, we'll uh, have another conversation. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hold you. I put that. I'm, I'm already marking it down. All yeah, right. We definitely did. I'm surprised we haven't talked about Doctor Who yet on this. We really need show. to. Yeah. It's it's way overdue. It's just it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. The glaring omission and our table of contents. It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's terrible. We've tried and then yeah. I can oh help my. with that. Okay. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. So. And Sam, what are you geeking out about? Uh, well, thinking back about um, model making, I finally got the uh, model of the uh, space battleship Yamato that I ordered back in March. Oh my gosh, so, I finally got it. I finally got it. It was coming from, from Japan. And of course, right it, you know when COVID-19 started, and everything pretty much shut down and it showed up on my door. I was, it was one of those, it's like a Christmas present. I was like, Oh, I completely forgot. I ordered this. <laughs> and oh, that, oh, that right. thing. Yeah. I, and I had, had written it off. I had actually like, this thing is never coming. It's gone forever. And they had given me a refund actually, because I had told them it's gone. And we waited even a few weeks after, after that, I think it was back in May. I, it was, uh, supposed to come and it never came. And so I actually got my money back. And then about a month, month or two later, it showed up and I was like, Oh, okay. I get to do this now. So, uh, it's like a whole, maybe five inches long, but, Oh my gosh. But that's, that's keeping with the typical, like if you ever do a, a, a Gundam model or something like that, they are usually very, very small. That's, but, oh, that's really interesting. But this one is is like it's it's very simple. It's not a whole lot, a whole lot of parts. Um, there's nothing that needs to be painted or glued or anything like that. And so it's just you have to be handy with a pair of uh, very fine little snippers. And mm-hmm. if you have a nail file, you're golden. Sweet, sweet. And you? I've been seeing this Netflix series out there called Dark. Hmm. And I, I, I just started. I'm into it a little bit, but it's fascinating. It's a German series. It's the first mm-hmm. German series on Netflix. To it was it was done in Netflix in Germany, but it's the first that of that German series to show up in American Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's 
you start watching it and it's not long into it before you go oh it's got a it's definitely got a stranger's thing vibe a strange stranger things vibe but it is not it's not stranger things um it's dark literally like it is aptly named um and just and please folks if you're listening and you say oh it's stranger things we'll sit down and watch it with the family do not don't don't <laughs> don't do that just the you know it's german tv my friends um don't just don't um so it, i mean it centers around the disappearance of a of a boy in a, in this small german village um the intertwining of personalities um there's a group of high school friends uh you know there's some 80s nostalgia in there um so um but I will also tell you the very beginning, there's someone hangs themselves and they, rather than the, everything is set up and then they, you know, uh, jerk the camera away. The camera stays while that. So that's what I'm saying. It's, it's very dark. Just be, if you want to watch it. So I, but I have found it very interesting. Um, uh, Cause I saw this was up and I, my wife and I were looking for something to watch. And I said, well, what about this? And she's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're not going to watch that. So I'm looking forward to continue that, see how that goes. So, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of good television at the moment and a lot of good shows that you can so watch. So much. Yes. Mm-hmm. So much. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm watching uh, X-Men Apocalypse just to remind me mm-hmm. how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I watched it. I oh, it's, it's bad. Yeah. It's they, let's take one of the, most awesome bad guys in X-Men mythology and just totally make him a boring little guy. <laughs> wow. It's, make Apocalypse boring. That's a... Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's, it was a hard job and they did a good job of of, of it. Great. Well, um, we're at the end of the episode. So uh, again, Dr. McGrath, thank you so much. Yep. Thank you uh, so much. Love the conversation. Yeah. And we'll, we have already made the note, Dr. Who, Dr. McGrath. Um, but uh, we've mentioned name, a couple That's going to be the name of the episode, I think. Dr. Who, Dr. McGrath. <laughs> oh, Sam. Oh, Sam. Good one. Um, we have... We have mentioned several times Theo. Sorry, I hit the I hit a I hit the mute I thought button. I threw you too much there. You did. You just you, 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 you just, ah. Uh, we've mentioned Theocon, um, and as as we've said in in previous episodes, it is postponed for uh, in person con uh, in Pittsburgh in 2020. It'll be now in 2021. But please check out uh, Theocon Thursdays, third Thursday of every month. On our YouTube channel, there will be a uh, a Theocon uh, conversation, a Theo conversation, if you will, uh, for uh, folks uh, talking about all of this stuff, uh, religion and such. We just had um, Dr. Kimberly Hampton, uh, not Dr. Reverend Kimberly Hampton from, uh, she has her uh, Wakanda Forever Black Panther Theology uh, syllabus. Uh, we we're talking about that with her, and that was um, really fascinating. Um, so uh, those will be coming up um, monthly. Uh, check out our check out that YouTube channel uh, for Theocon. Um, as always, you can uh, connect with us on Facebook at uh, Church of the Geek at Geek Church on Twitter. I'd uh, love to chat with you and uh, see what all is going on. And always, you can find all of our uh, podcasts on um, Apple, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Uh, we're all over the place. So please uh, help us out and uh, review us, like us wherever you, you listen to us, um, and uh, share us with your friends. Uh, put it out on your social media uh, if you find this worthwhile. Um, we would certainly appreciate it. And that's it, folks. So thank you for Sam. all for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, thanks for listening. Sam, it was good talking to you. Stay cool, my friend. And you as well. Uh, Dr. Butler, I hope it is not near, or Dr. McGrath. <laughs> God, Lord. Talk about it being late. <laughs> ah.
All right. Dr. McGrath, I hope you are also staying cool uh, where you are at. I hope it's not nearly as hot in Indianapolis, but please Can't stay promise cool. that. But yeah, <laughs> well, take it easy. Yep. Um, it was great. Uh, everybody, uh, trust in God, wash your hands, and wear a mask, please. Uh, and that being said, Geek be with you. And also with you. Amen. Amen.